Pastor Paul, turning your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Be ready to stand once again for the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Romans chapter 11. Let's all stand together. Reading from 25 to the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 11. God's holy word. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take their sins away. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Thus, God's holy word, you may be seated. In the 13th chapter of Acts, Paul and Barnabas and their traveling companions were in Antioch, in the city of Antioch. Paul had preached a sermon in the synagogue there, and the people who had listened begged them to come back so that they could hear more. So the following Sabbath, Paul and Barnabas returned. But when almost the entire city showed up to hear Paul preach, which would have been mainly Gentiles, and a great number of them at that, the Jews lashed out with loud and hateful resistance against Paul and against the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul preached. Here we find that Luke records that Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly to the Jews, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. That's because of the priority the Jews had in salvation history. Jesus the Messiah came through them. 
didn't he? Paul and Barnabas went on to say, since you thrust the word of God aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. This scenario became a pattern in every city in which Paul ministered. He would begin with the Jews. Then when he was rejected by them, he would turn to the Gentiles. But it would not be long before the Apostle Paul, while sitting in the city of Corinth, would sit down and write to God's beloved children, mainly Gentile Christians, at the church in Rome. And at the beginning of chapter 9 of that great letter, he unleashed the agony he was experiencing because of Jewish rejection of Christ and his desire to see his fellow kinsmen saved. For he said, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen in the flesh. From that cry of anguish, you and I have tried to diligently listen and take in all that the Apostle Paul has taught concerning the Jews and how they fit into God's redemptive plan. Today, we come to the last portion, an absolute pinnacle of that teaching where Paul, continuing to address Gentile Christians concerning the Jews and their attitude towards the Jews, tells us first about the mystery of God, and then the faithfulness of God, and finally the mercy of God. Let us pray. Our Father, your word is powerful. May it penetrate our dullness and the deepest recesses of our hearts so that we might be convinced of your truth, your gospel, and your providence. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the mystery of God is found in verses 25 and 26. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. 
In these verses, the Apostle Paul is saying to the Gentiles, do not think that God is finished with the Jews as a people. Don't be ignorant of this mystery, brothers. Paul is emotional here, very intense and very emotional when he calls the Gentile Christians at Rome brothers. And he wants them to understand a certain mystery because mysteries in God's word are not something that believers will not understand. Rather, they are something that we will understand when God chooses to reveal them to us and he always, always, always reveals them to us in his holy word. He does not reveal his mysteries to you and me apart from the Holy Spirit working through the Word. A mystery is something previously hidden, and then, at God's appointed time, it is revealed. For example, Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And if you look at the end of Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 16, verses 25 and 26, you will see a mystery described. It is a divine truth kept secret for long ages until it is disclosed. Now, children, when somebody says, What do you want? I've got a secret. Well, it's hard, isn't it, not to want to hear what that secret is? Well, the Apostle Paul has one to tell that has been kept secret for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And he wants you and your parents and your grandparents and your brothers and sisters here in Jesus Christ, in your family, to hear it. And we find it in the second half of verse 25 and the first part of verse 26. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. We are already familiar with some of the revelation of this mystery from what Paul has already taught us in chapter 11, aren't we? He has spoon-fed us with parts of the mystery along the way in order to bring us gradually and naturally along to being able to accept the whole thing now. He has already told us, I'm sure, in tears about Israel rejecting Jesus Christ in unbelief and that God, in a judicial act, had hardened Israel against Christ and the gospel. Verse 8, if you want to look at it, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see ears that would not hear 
down to this very day. Of course, that does not mean that every single Jew was hardened, and in that sense, it was a partial hardening. God has always graciously kept for himself a remnant of elect Jews who have rejoiced in the gospel of God's free grace in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was one of them, wasn't he? And what about Peter? Well, many rejoiced in the gospel of God's free grace like Peter and Paul. But the rest were hardened. And in the disclosure of this mystery, long kept secret, the apostle is saying, guess what? Guess what? The partial hardening is not the end of the story. Many of you who are old enough will remember Paul Harvey and his radio program called The Rest of the Story. Paul Harvey would take what he called true mysteries from history and present facts from history that were unknown to most people. And not until the very end of his stories did he reveal the surprising and crucial and astounding part that tied all the stories together. Then he, would, then he always finished with his famous line. You know what it is. Now you know the rest of the story. Well, in our passage, not Paul Harvey, but none other than the Apostle Paul is giving us the rest of the story. The partial hardening of the Jews will only last until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. That is, don't miss this, the partial hardening will last until the majority of, the, of God's elect Gentiles have been gathered into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the hardening will be lifted and there will be a great ingathering of Jews who come gladly into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, praising God for his free grace in Jesus Christ, and in this way, verse 26, all Israel will be saved. When Paul says all Israel will be saved, it is highly debated. But I believe what Paul is referring to is the widespread salvation that will result among the Jews after the fullness of the Gentiles. So the term all Israel here is referring to the Jews as a people being graciously brought to faith in Jesus Christ when that happens. Sometimes, depending on the context of God's word, the term Israel refers to the Israel of God made up of Jew and Gentile all who are the children of Abraham by faith. God, uh, Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. And we have really stressed that here because it is so glorious. We love that. 
It is thoroughly biblical. But here, and this has been true throughout chapter 11, the term Israel refers to the Jews ethnically as a people. After the time of the Gentiles has reached its God-appointed fullness, the partial hardening of ethnic Israel will be graciously lifted, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, this kind of language, all Israel will be saved, does not mean that every single Jew will be saved. We see a similar concept, for example, after Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law in Mark chapter 1. Mark says, after Peter's mother-in-law was healed, all kinds of sick and demon-possessed people were being brought to Jesus. So many, Mark says, that the whole city, Mark says, the whole city was gathered at the door. This does not mean that every single person who resided in the city was there. Rather, it means that most of the people in the city who could get there were there. That was the impact that Jesus had on the whole city. And, and the apostle has dropped us hints in chapter 11 that this great ingathering of the Jews into Christ's kingdom will be large in scale and will result in great impact. Hints that you and I have not missed along the way, have we? For example, in verse 12, Paul said that the full inclusion of the Jews would result in great spiritual riches for the Gentiles and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ by implication. Verse 15, he said that this event would be like life from the dead. Now to be clear, I am not talking about a future national Israel that dispensationalists and others argue for as if God had two programs. One for the nation of Israel and one for the church. No. If the scriptures have a covenantal framework and I and our session and our denomination believe with conviction that they do, then God has only one program that involves both Jew and Gentile. It's called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are in it. And as God lifts the veil, many Jews, by God's grace alone, not only because, not, not at all, rather, because they are Jewish as if their ethnicity merited them anything. No, no, no. But by God's grace alone, many Jews will be brought to faith in Christ, be baptized, both they and their children, and they will gladly come into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, rejoicing, sharing in the glorious supper of our Lord with us no longer opposed to Christians. No longer opposed to Christ. 
no longer opposed to the gospel, but rather filled with joy that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ, alone grafted back into the one olive tree and in total dependence upon God's mercy and not man's religious efforts. Well, if the Apostle Paul were here this morning and he were to ask us, isn't the revelation of this mystery exciting? Isn't it exciting? What would your answer be? What would my answer be? If we are not excited, there is great hope. Because that's where the Holy Spirit is taking us. If we have not yet arrived, to the place where the Apostle Paul was at the time he wrote this, that's where the Holy Spirit is taking us. That's where the Apostle Paul was because he burst into a doxology of praise in the last few verses of the chapter. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God and ends with for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever so my question now to you is how optimistic are you about the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world how optimistic are you I'm asking. And how optimistic are you about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? How thrilled are you about Christ's church? His body, this body. Your brothers and sisters in Christ who have been brought from this locality into this particular body where we live out Christ. How optimistic are you about the gospel in the world and how optimistic are you about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? The Lord plans to bless the church with Jews who love their Savior and us. Jews who are willing to do anything for us because now they know that their Messiah died for them in their place and rose again in their place. Children, can't you see in all this, even if it's been difficult to follow, can't you see that God is a God of love and mercy and goodness and that he came to save sinners? None of us. How old are you? I don't care how young you are. 
none of us should be surprised when God saves a sinner. Children, if you were to tell us and your parents that you have given Jesus your sins, that Jesus Christ is your Savior, and that you are trusting that he took care of your sins and he gave you the righteousness that you need to be saved. We won't be surprised if you tell us that. We will not be surprised that God is that good and that kind and that gracious. Your parents won't be surprised if you tell them, Jesus Christ is my Savior. If you say, I gave my sins to Jesus and he took care of them on the cross, your parents won't be surprised. They'll be happy, but they won't be surprised because God is a God of love who is in the business of saving sinners. And this leads us to the faithfulness of God beginning at verse 26b, having spent most of the time on the first point, we'll now transition from the mystery to God's faithfulness. It's because of God's faithfulness to his covenant promises in Christ that Jews will come to faith in Jesus Christ. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. Verse 27, and this, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Paul, quoting in bits and pieces from several Old Testament passages, Psalm 14, Isaiah 27, and that which we read, Isaiah 59, all Old Testament passages that point toward the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his, and his death on the cross. The decisive place where the new covenant was realized and the ungodliness of all God's elect Jews was realized. Again, Primarily, God, Paul is speaking to Christian Gentiles, but he is speaking to them about the Jews. It was on the cross when Jesus took their sins away. Even while the Jews were crucifying Christ, Christ was graciously bearing the sins of many. That's how good God is. That's how loving God is. That's how faithful God is to his covenant promises in Jesus Christ. Why will the revelation of this mystery become a reality? It will become a reality because all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ won the victory on behalf of God's covenant people. And how that is going to work out providentially in the lives of God's people is all in accordance with the wisdom and knowledge 
of God. He reminds his Gentile listeners in verse 28 that the gospel came to them, to Gentiles. He says, the gospel came to you because of Jewish unbelief and rejection of Christ by the Jews, and that that was all part of God's sovereign plan. Verse 28, they became enemies for your sakes, Paul says. And then he goes on to say, but do not think for a minute that God is finished with them as a people, because in regard to election, the Jews are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the sake of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, those whom God graciously called and gave those promises to. Do not think that God will ever be unfaithful to those promises. Because verse 29, the gifts and calling of God are, are irrevocable. That's why there has always been a remnant of elect Jews who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why there is the promise that many more will come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has not revoked his calling to his ancient covenant people. His calling and his promises cannot be revoked. And this is ultimately so that he might pour out mercy upon them. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it's going to be phenomenal. He says we'll find Jews repenting and turning back to the one whom they struck and rejected and crucified. And listen to this, coming to Christ like little children with hearts of faith to see that there has only been one Jew, one Jew only, who has ever lived in a way that has been pleasing to God in absolute perfect righteousness. That Jew is God's Christ, the Lord Jesus the great covenant keeper who gave his life a ransom for many. Adults, Gentile Christians, I wonder if we have forgotten what it is to come to Christ as little children. Have you forgotten what it is to be a little child coming Trusting, glad, excited, grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ? I wonder if we have forgotten the joy and excitement of knowing what Christ has done for us and of knowing what it means to belong to God, to be in his beloved kingdom. God has a calling for ethnic Israel. Verse 29, he is faithful and he will not go back on his word and it will be phenomenal. That last of all leads us to the mercy of God in verses 30 through 32. The apostle has shown us the mystery of God and what will happen for the Jews as a people when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. He has shown us the faithfulness of God to his covenant promises in Jesus Christ, 
which guarantees the playing out of this mystery. And then just prior to his outburst of praise and doxology, he emphasizes God's tremendous mercy to all kinds of people. Still speaking to the Gentiles, verse 30. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they now too have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive <clears throat> mercy now. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he have, may have mercy on all. What we are getting here is a lesson on the history of God's sovereign mercy and how that tremendous mercy has played out and will continue to play out in the lives of Gentiles and Jews throughout the ages. All hell is being unleashed in terms of spiritual darkness against the church. And the church will always be victorious. Always. At one time, Paul says, you Gentiles as a people were disobedient to God. He's talking about Old Testament days when Gentiles were separated from Christ for thousands and thousands of years, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. And after studying Ephesians 2 with Mr. Horseman, this language should sound familiar to you. How many nations outside of Israel were supremely blessed by God throughout Old Testament history? Zero. Zero. But with the coming of Christ, it was through Israel's disobedience and rejection of Christ that the gospel moved outside of the borders of Israel and all the way to SGRC and around the world. Consider the sovereignty and wisdom of God in this history lesson. We Gentiles needed mercy, didn't we? And it came via the disobedience and hardening of Israel. But Israel's disobedience will not endure because the Lord will give to Israel the same mercy that he gave to the Gentiles. Consider the love of God in pouring out mercy to all kinds of people. That is on all kinds of people, whether Jew or Gentile. Don't miss the fact that there are two ideas prevalent throughout verses 30 through 32. Disobedience and mercy. All men are consigned to disobedience in the fall of Adam. But this was so that God's mercy would then come graciously to his chosen ones, to his undeserving and ever eternally undeserving chosen ones. No one deserves salvation. 
but upon them. He would lavish his mercy in Christ. You know, we often remind one another here that God did not have to be gracious and merciful at all. There's no requirement that God has to keep that says he has to be gracious and merciful to anyone because God is just. He didn't have to be gracious to anyone. But listen, if just one person, just one person throughout the history of the entire world was graciously brought to faith in Christ, then it would be cause for praise to God for his amazing love and grace and mercy. But here, we are given the abundance of God's mercy poured out on a multitude of undeserving sinners, disobedient Jews, and disobedient Gentiles. And according to the Apostle John in Revelation, there will be so many who receive the mercy of God that it will be like the roar of many waters and the sound of thunder when God's saved ones cry out. And we will cry out. We will be very much spiritually alive. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. Father, may we not be known. Nurse us along. Gentiles who we confess have lived in our own bubble of Gentile world, in our own bubble of Gentile church. Nurse us along to the wisdom, the riches, and the knowledge of God. And how good you are to sinners, Gentile sinners, Jewish sinners. How good you are to Israel, the Israel of God. Now, Lord, let us rejoice and exalt. May our response be one of rejoicing. And may our children understand the goodness of God for them being here and that we will not be surprised when they walk up to mom or dad and say, I'm trusting. I gave Jesus my sins. Hallelujah. We have only you to thank and you to praise for your goodness and grace and mercy to us. Now bless the nations. And may the reigning Christ who is at the right hand of God Bring about the blessing of the gospel. For Christ's sake, we pray.
Amen.